The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about cyber traps. And we're going to be talking about that in terms of cyber traps for educators. But it really relates to all of us what these cyber traps really are. And we are welcoming back a guest that we had on when he only had six books. Now he has eight books. We had him on, I think it was in around 2008. And he's back with us with his new book to talk about this. Let me tell you a little bit about our wonderful guest, Frederick Lane, who's a nationally recognized expert on privacy and the impact of emerging technologies on society. He's an author, attorney, educational consultant, expert witness, and lecturer who has spoken to colleges, universities, school districts all around the country on a variety of issues, including student safety, electronic misbehavior and digital privacy and as you know sitting here on the campus of the university of california in irvine these issues with professors and students you know these are really relevant issues uh fred has written eight books now uh including most recently cyber traps for educators cyber traps for the young and american privacy the 400 year history of our most contested right which is what we talked about a few years ago and during the course of his writing career he's appeared as a guest on a variety of <coughs> national media programs including comedy central's the daily show with john stewart which must have been fun abc <laughs> nightline and good morning america weekend CBS, uh, 60 Minutes, Sunday Morning with Charles Osgood, NBC Today Show, and Weekend Today, as well as numerous other shows and national radio shows and our radio show. So we're just thrilled that he is back with us. You can find out more about him at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy, where we have his bio and we link to his website, Frederick lane.com we have a uh, url for him and we also have a picture of his book and himself so we're just thrilled to have fred back thanks so much for joining us this morning fred 
Mari, it's a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, lots of things, lots of changes since we talked to you. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've been reading this book. I think it's great. I think it really relates to more than just, uh, you know, educators. I think everybody really, of course, we're, many of us are educators. So let's talk about, so why is it that, um, you know, what is this book really about? What do you want us to know? Well, what I'd like you to know, Mari, is that Cyber Traps for Educators is really designed to help people in the education community better understand the uh, kinds of risks that they face from the use and misuse of electronic devices. And as you know, and as you were kind enough to mention, I started out on this field by talking about Cyber Traps for the Young, which was about the trouble that kids can get into because we're seeing kids now um, stumbling into legal issues that they never had to deal with before right. because, you know, now they have all of these devices to use. And as I was doing that research, it became clear to me that the teachers were facing a lot of the same issues. Now, obviously, you're on a university campus, and we are seeing those kinds of issues among professors as well. But the thrust of this book is really at teachers in the K-12 environment because there they're dealing with children and they're dealing with minors. And so the situation is a little bit different than it is on a college campus. Exactly, exactly. But a lot of the issues really relate to very similar things. So tell us, what really inspired you to write this book? Well, as I said, I mean, some of the research that I did with Cyber Traps for the Young um, unfortunately revealed that teachers were uh, part of the problem as well. But I also had the honor of serving on the Burlington, Vermont School Board for 10 years. And these kinds of issues um, became increasingly common as I was on the school board. I was on the board from 2002 until about 2011. And, you know, we began to see more and more kids bringing devices. So we saw potential problems there. And then we also saw, you know, kids now starting to bring their own devices And as they did so, they got more and more um, problematic, and there became more and more difficult interactions with teachers. And so when I put all of that stuff together, I really felt that there was a need to help educate people about what was going on. Yes, there is so much going on in in the uh, K-12. When we think about all the cyberbullying and the sexting and everything else, so let's talk a little bit about some of the cyber traps that you discuss in the book that that you think are really uh, most important to talk about. Well, one of the things that I tried to do with this particular project was to break the cyber traps into three categories. And so we've got cyber traps in the workplace, Um, cyber traps outside the workplace, and then um, basically student-related cyber traps. So, excuse me, (laughs) excuse me for a second, a little out of breath, but the cyber traps that catch the most notice and the most concern, obviously, are those involving students. And so there we're dealing with situations, um, (laughs) I'm having a hard time here, Um, excuse me, We deal with situations where teachers are using these devices to develop relationships with students. Yes, yes. To, uh, (laughs) to, um, you know, reach them. And I think one of the points that I tried to make in this book, Mark, is that, you know, because kids now have these devices themselves, what you see is the ability 
of teachers to communicate directly with kids. Yes. And when they can do that, now they start to develop relationships that the um, <laughs> that the parents are not aware of. Yeah, and that could be very dangerous, that, right? Very right, dangerous. Exactly. Yeah, we see all the time here, at least in Orange County, California, we're always seeing things about relationships between teachers and students that are sexual relationships yeah. or that are just, you know, um, really inappropriate relationships. So right. that's. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things, honestly, about this, Mari, is that, you know, when we look back, for instance, on my childhood or your childhood, you know, if someone tried to call us at home, you know, undoubtedly they would have gotten a parent answering the phone or the parent would have been in the background. Right. And now, as, as I'm sure you're aware, kids are having these devices in their bedrooms, you know, all hours of the night. And one of the fact patterns that really is quite common in the work that I've done or the research I've done is that kids will innocently start texting their teachers about homework assignments and things like that, but they're doing it from their bedroom. And then the teacher is responding directly to the student in their bedroom. And when it's late at night, unfortunately, sometimes the conversation segues, you know, into more personal topics. And when that happens, you know, really what you end up seeing is the slippery slope of behavior. Yes. And, you know, if you have a teacher, for instance, who's going through, you know, a difficult part of their relationship or their marriage or the the child is vulnerable and, and looking for you know, affirmation from an adult, you begin to see these things coming together and creating an environment in which inappropriate relationships can occur. And one of the real aspects of this that is so difficult is that more and, you know, to, to a greater and greater degree, the teachers who are coming out of the teacher certification programs are themselves technology users. Right. And so that's how they communicate. And they're very familiar with this idea of texting back and forth and Facebook messaging and all the rest of it. And they forget now that they've got a new role, you know, that there are different rules that come into play and they need to establish and maintain boundaries yes. that help with the education process. Yeah, I think the boundaries are blurred for some <laughs> of them, right? They're, they're really uh, kind of blurred. So let's let's well, kind of go into this, you know, inside and outside, and and let's talk about first of all in the workplace, and um, let's talk about some of the cyber traps actually in the workplace because we've been talking a little bit about outside the workplace when the kids go home and they're right. you know in their bedroom at night. But let's first kind of stay with your uh, you know with your boundaries here in in the workplace. Let's let's talk about some of the cyber traps for teachers there. Sure, absolutely. One of the things that, um, you know, I think is important for educators to remember is that, you know, among their myriad other roles that they have, they're also employees. And so one of the issues that I talk about is the way in which electronic devices and the Internet are um, making it so easy for all of us to be distracted in terms of what we do. And so, you know, one of the first cyber traps that I talk about is this idea of cyber loafing, which is to say just using your, you know, cell phone to surf the web or using your classroom computer to watch ESPN or do shopping on eBay or things like that. I mean, there are all of these different ways that we can distract ourselves. Then, again, within the workplace, there's really the issue of how you use technology 
to interact with your coworkers. Yes. So one of the categories that I take a look at is hostile communications back and forth, sending nasty emails or, or text messages from one colleague to another, or the idea of creating a hostile work environment. You know, obviously, as an attorney, you're aware of sexual harassment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And so, you know, the fact that we now have these these computers and these cell phones and so forth in everybody's possession means that if people are not being careful about what they're looking at online or the jokes that they're sending from one person to another, then it's very easy to stumble into this idea of creating a hostile work environment. And obviously that has implications for people's careers. It's got potential liability for the school district. And then, you know, obviously if they're doing something like looking at pornography or even worse, child pornography oh, within right. the workplace, mm-hmm. there's not only the inappropriateness of it, right, but there's also exposure of children to those materials. Exactly, exactly. So how about... Um you have another chapter called The Hidden Cybertrap Mishandling of Student Sex. <laughs> yeah, that, that was an interesting one. I, there's a little bit of a story to that because um, probably about three years or, or so ago, I went down to the Family Online Safety Institute uh, down at uh, Washington, D.C., and I was lecturing about Cybertraps for the Young, which had just come out at that point, and after I gave my presentation at FOSI, I was standing out in the hall, you know, selling books and so forth, and this gentleman came up and introduced himself. His name is Ting Wei, O-E-I, and he was a uh, vice principal at uh, high school down in Loudoun County, Virginia. And he told me the story of an experience that he had where he was investigating a, a rumor of sexting within his high school. Mm. And during the course of the investigation, he came across a young man who had received a, you know, basically a nude photo from someone. It was, a, it was the torso of a female with mm. her arms across her breast. So nothing was really visible. Right. But obviously she didn't have a shirt on or, or underclothes. And the investigation basically stalled. They couldn't figure out who the girl was, you know, until much, much later. But the reason that Mr. Way ran into difficulties was that he wasn't sure what to do with the image, and his principal told him to save a copy on his computer. So he had the young man who who had the photo in his possession transfer it to his computer. Mm. And through a a set of circumstances that I talk about in the book, um, he wound up facing charges from the... um, from the prosecutor in the county of possessing child pornography, yeah. And it was an amazing situation. I mean, my jaw was dropping as I listened to this man tell his story, and then I went through and did the research and, you know, verified everything that he was saying. And the upshot of the story, and it's, I guess, no real spoiler to let your audience hear, is that he ended up fighting these charges for two and a half years Cost a fortune, yeah. <laughs> eventually, the prosecutor dropped the charges, and the school board reimbursed him $168,000 for his legal fees. Oh, my goodness. And, yeah, I know. And he was able to go back to work. But as he pointed out himself, and it's, it's very painful to, to see him talk about this, when you search his name now on the Internet, 
Oh, yeah. It's still associated with child pornography. Right, right. You know, because so you know anything on the is, Internet's not going to go away. It's going to be replicated even if you take it down, right? Yes, and it's extraordinarily hard to take things down, as, as I'm sure you know. Yeah. And so, you know, Mario, I think the thing is, you know, from his perspective, what he's hoping is that his story can serve as a cautionary tale for other teachers, you know, to make sure that they have the proper training on how to do these kinds of investigations, and then to make sure that, you know, they follow the school's procedures very carefully so that there's no chance that they can get charged with, you know, possessing child pornography. Yeah, and I think it's hard for school boards. You know, years ago I sat on a school board myself, so I know what they... Mm -hmm. Of course, we didn't have these issues then. Um, But it seems that the policies are going to have to be updated constantly because of the the technology is being updated constantly. And so right. you're going to have to have really clear guidelines for for educators. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the points that I make in this book is mm-hmm. that it's, it's not enough to do this every year, you know, or excuse me, to do this once and then not expect to have to do it again. Right. I really do. I really do think we need to do this every year. And you know, honestly, since a lot of the cyber traps I talk about are ones that result from new types of social media, yeah, it's you know my experience is that there are new social media networks coming out basically every month. Yes, and they all have slightly different capabilities and and risks associated with them. And teachers need to know what's going on so that they can protect themselves. Yes. And a lot of the older teachers are not anywhere as near as cyber, you know, savvy as their students are. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, I know right. we had a case here in uh, Orange County where um some kid took the teacher's head and put it on a um on a on a body you know, through, so, yeah, Yeah. and, uh, and put them in a compromising position. So teachers are also subject to really being hurt by all of this as well, because if they put up pictures on the web, or somebody can get a picture of them somewhere electronically, they can Photoshop it and make them look bad to get, you know, a revenge or spite. That's right. section of the book that I, um, that I worked on, you know, the, the student-teacher relationship piece, talks about this idea of fake social media accounts set up to make teachers look bad. Right. Uh, there, there's a phenomenon called cyberbaiting. I don't know if you've run across this, mm-hmm. but the, the idea of cyberbaiting is that you have two co-conspirators sitting in the classroom, and one of them is secretly video recording the teacher. And then their co-conspirator tries to push the teacher's buttons right. and get, get the teacher to blow up. And then they upload that to YouTube or Vimeo or mm. Daily Motion or some of these other websites. Mm. So should there be, you know, uh, rules about having their devices in the classroom? Should there be rules saying that you can't bring your cell phone into the classroom, that you have to put it into your locker if you, you know, I mean, should there be rules like that? Well, I I thought long and hard about that question, Mari, because, you know, certainly as a former school board member and as a parent, you know, we, we had to consider what was appropriate usage. And I think we need to be realistic about the world that we live in. And I think that that parents 
are genuinely concerned about being able to get in touch with their kids if something should happen. And, and you know, you certainly don't want some kid getting into trouble because they are um, trying to run back to their locker to get their cell phone or something like that. So I don't think we can realistically say that kids shouldn't carry their cell phones. But obviously, I do think that we can have very clear rules about how those devices should be used. And certainly, if kids are misusing them, if they're doing something to damage the reputation or harm a teacher or a fellow student, then obviously they should be disciplined for doing that. The other thing that I think ties into this um, in a big way, Mari, is this idea that we need to improve or in some cases start the teaching of digital citizenship for students. Yes, yes, and digital courtesy... Yeah, and yep. and, and mm-hmm. digital morality. <laughs> well, you know that's that's definitely an aspect of it. You know, obviously, I shy away a little bit from the the idea of morality. Just because yeah, I don't mean religious. I just meant <laughs> what? Yeah, what's ethically appropriate? Exactly right. That I do agree with, and I I believe that you know part of it is is this old fashioned idea that teachers deserve respect. You know that students really should honor their role in the classroom and that they should be treated accordingly. Now, obviously, teachers need to live up to that as well, but at, you know, at its core, we could do a better job of teaching standards of behavior. And the other thing I, I constantly need to be clear about is this idea or, or the basic principle that ultimately parents are responsible for teaching their kids values, for teaching their kids appropriate use of electronic devices, and more than anything else, not giving kids devices they're not mature enough to use. Yeah. And I think that this is one of the things that absolutely floors me, that half of the middle school kids who have a cell phone, which is now around 72 73% anyway, half of those kids are carrying a smartphone. Well, but this is this kind of goes back to Fred what, uh, what you were saying before, though that the parents want to be able to get a hold of them, or if you've got something yeah. like Sandy Hook going on, that sure, you they sure. want a child to be able to call mom or the police or something. So, you know, it gets back to that whole thing. And I think the other thing to say that parents be responsible. Unfortunately, some of the parents are not as savvy as their kids, and I'm thinking of these people mm-hmm. whose parents don't speak the language. You know, they don't speak English or whatever. And the kids are the ones who are really savvy doing everything for the parents. <laughs> so well, it's, it's a challenge. I, I think there's a lot of, a lot of truth to that, Mari. I think that the issue that we run into, though, is that, you know, if, if parents really do want to be able to get in touch with their middle school kids, for instance, certainly their elementary school kids, which ought to be a no-brainer, then give them a fairly simple, you know, flip phone that makes it possible to do telephone calls and text messages, right. but th- doesn't provide them with an international publishing platform. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's hard, you know, it, it is getting harder for parents to even get that available. You know what I mean? Yes. These, these yes, old flip course. phones. So it's, it's, it is, it's, a, it's a real challenge any way you look at it. Let's talk yes. a little bit about the, the cyber traps outside of the workplace. You know, right. um, are, sure. are, are, the, are educators really entitled to having a personal <laughs> life anymore? 
<laughs> well, that is probably one of the more provocative questions that I threw into this book, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think that the the the, the challenge, and, and this is right up your alley, Mario, it really is, this, this relationship between technology and privacy. And, you know, the point that I was making in the book is that obviously we hold educators to a higher standard of conduct, right? Because they're role models, right? They're supposed they, to be role models. Role, right. They're role models. They spend, honestly, almost as much time with kids as their parents. Or do. more. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, there's an expectation that they will set a good example for our children. And that runs into conflict with what, um, you know, teachers themselves want to do, how they want to spend their lives. And the examples range from the very silly. You know, I talk about a couple of teachers who got into trouble because they had photos on their Facebook page of them drinking, and that offended somebody in their community, and they were basically asked to resign, which seems really outrageous. Yeah, yeah. To other examples where, you know, individuals were working as a topless waitress on a fishing charter or right. were um, posing in lingerie. Should that disqualify someone from teaching? And then, of course, at the extreme end of things, you know, what if somebody has a past as an adult film star or they pose for Playboy? Right. Does that make them an unfit teacher? Right, right. And this, of course, is a you know probably a slightly more relevant question in Southern California than it is in in New York State. But, you know, as you can see from the book, the examples really are drawn from across the United States. So, you know, this is a real issue. And and the point that I, I tried to make in this book is that one of the reasons that school boards are so sensitive about this these days is that now kids can get access to these images and photos and videos just as easily, if not more so, than adults can. Right. Or it goes back to that whole issue is, let's say, maybe when they were in college, they were, you know, they worked at Hooters, but now they're 30 years old and they're right. parents. And, you know, is there that right that gets back to the right to forget? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, and so is somebody going to be fired for something that they did when they were 26 and now they're 36 and they've changed? Right. You know, or, well, you know, maybe maybe what we need to think about, Mari, it's not just the right to be forgotten, but it's the right to grow up. Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all have that, you know? I mean, I think that's really true. I, fortunately, you know, I was a goody two-shoes, but I'm sure I did stupid things that if anybody put a picture up, it would, it, you know, I remember one time in college, my, my roommate and I, it was Halloween, and we put lampshades on our head and stupid outfits and, and went out trick-or-treating to all of the different sororities, and we looked totally idiotic. I mean, if anybody had a picture of that, they'd say, what is she, nuts? You know, and I can say that and laugh at it now, but you never know when somebody takes a picture of you doing something stupid like that. They might have thought that I was on drugs or something, you know? <laughs> so, well, you know, as I, was, as I was writing that particular section of the book, I was, you know, really actually trying to remember my college years and worried about the gaps in my knowledge. And fortunately, you're right. You know, the Internet... The Internet was not a factor at that point, and I am very fortunate, but my kids, as I have repeatedly told them, are not so fortunate because they're exactly the same age, basically, as the World Wide Web, and and they have to live with that. Yes, exactly. Well, we don't have much time, and I I really wanted to get to cyberbullying and all this other stuff, but... 
Um, I just, I don't have enough time to do that. But uh, just, if you could just tell briefly, maybe two things, two ideas coming from being a school board member, just so before we leave, two ideas of what school board members should be doing to minimize the misuse of technology? Great question. Well, very quickly, the top two things that I would say, number one, make sure that teachers have the best up-to-date information possible about what their risks are. Obviously, I strongly recommend this book. I think that, you know, you need to get your IT staff um, regularly issuing updates on new technologies and new social media. That's number one. Number two, I think from kindergarten on up, school boards should be making sure that kids understand both their rights and their responsibilities with respect to electronic devices because these are very, very powerful tools and we're allowing kids to use them without any kind of, you know, driver training or kitchen training, all of these right. things we train kids to do. We're giving them these devices as if they are the ones who know how to use them. And that's, yes, they know how to manipulate them, but they don't know how to use them properly. Two different things. Yep. And so we are out of time. So we have this wonderful book, Cyber Traps for Educators by Frederick S. Lane. And why don't you give your website and it's time for us to go. That sounds great. Please come to fredericklane.com and look for additional information. Well, thank you so much. And we'll keep in touch and let me know about your next book, okay? I will do that, Mari. Thank you. Okay, take care. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.